I want to tell you, I get to tell you once in a while that I love you. I love being your pastor. I love getting to meet you, know you. Lord willing, impart truth, some truth to you. Or if you, if you come here, and none of us are fully mature, but uh, if you come here well versed in, in the Lord I, uh, or in the Word, I, I hope that I can exhort you uh, to go and, and do it. I mean, that's in every sermon, right? Go do it. So, Paul is really counseling us here. You know, he says some huge things in these last couple of chapters. And he's counseling us on how to actually live out the Christian life. And I heard a guy preach. You know, I always refer to Hebrews 11. I do it a lot. But some years ago, I heard a guy preaching on Hebrews 11. I don't know. I don't remember who he was, where I was. I uh, don't remember. But he said something that, that, that I, will, I will never forget. Some of you will know Hebrews 11 is is that great chapter where God defines faith and then He says this is what it looks like. He defines it and then so religious professionals like me can't dumb it down, uh, although many try. He says this is what it looks like. He gives us at least 16 named examples of what real faith looks like in a real life. So this is not academic. It is not theoretical for anyone who actually reads their Bible. If we read our Bibles, we know that Christianity is not simply mental assent to facts about Jesus, right? It's not just simple. It's simply. It's not that. I mean, James chapter two tells us that faith without what is what? Someone tell me. If you're if you don't have a doing faith, you don't have a biblical faith. Now you may have some kind of church faith, but God says the only kind of faith that really matters with Him is a doing faith. He says if you, if, you, if you don't actually ever do the Word, your faith is dead or your faith is useless. He even like, likens it to de- demonic faith. He says even Satan believes. The demons believe. So we understand that if we understand our Bibles, that simple mental assent to historical facts about Jesus, that's not what... God is talking about when He's talking about faith. Hebrews 11. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, David, etc., etc., etc. These were men and women who lived their faith. Albeit imperfectly. You heard me read the list. But they did the Word. And when they sinned, they confessed their sin, they received the grace of God, they got back up, and they continued with the Lord. In our Bibles, we learn at least one hard fact about biblical faith. And it's what this guy said. It's what he said that I never forgot. He said, faith, real faith, biblical faith, is not easy. you got churches all over the world telling people, it's easy. Come on, be a Christian. God will make you, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise, and prosperous, and God will go to work for you. God's your servant. God's obligated to you. God will make it happen for you. You know, it's, uh, it, there's this, in many, many places, there's this caricature of Christianity. But this guy said it right. He said, faith is not easy. And then he said, uh, something like I said, I'll never forget. He said, it's not supposed to be easy. You know why it's not supposed to be easy? There are many reasons I could give you, but I'll give you one. Because unbelievers in the world are supposed to see you do it, even when it's hard, even when tragedy strikes. 
even when there's great pain and difficulty, even when there's great trial, people in the world are supposed to watch you walk through that trusting God. They're supposed to see your faith. Unbelievers are supposed to see your faith. You know what God does through your faith as unbelievers observe your faith? He converts people. He'll use your testimony in the world. Right? This is only one reason. I, I don't have time to, to fully develop that. Real faith is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. If you think it's supposed to be easy, you've signed up for the wrong team. It's not supposed to be easy. It will never be easy, really. Although we do have great times of peace and joy and tremendous blessing in God. There will be hard times if you sign on with Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross. Take up your instrument of death. This is what Jesus says. Take up your instrument of death and follow Me. He never made it sound easy. And beloved, it's not easy. We've been you know, going through Philippians, the life of Apostle, the Apostle Paul. His life was not easy. We've been talking a lot about it. And as he writes this letter, he is in prison. Your faith, your way of life, your sacrificial love, as unbelievers, as your family members, and as unbelievers see it, your selfless service, your patient, joyful suffering, your radical giving, your persevering devotion to Jesus, your risky obedience, it testifies to the value and sufficiency and glory of your God. I say it all the time, God's left you here. <laughs> You're supposed to be a light on a hill. People are supposed to smell your faith. They're supposed to taste your faith. They're supposed to feel your faith. They're supposed to hear your faith. And some, not all, but some will inquire, why do you live this way? Why do you talk this way? How do you persevere in this hard place? There it is. Your perfect opportunity to share the truth. It comes off your life, beloved. It should come off your life. And I've told you this many times. When it's hard, you have a megaphone. When it's really hard in your life, God has put you center stage and you have a megaphone. You say, yeah, I've got cancer, but my God is awesome and He might heal me. But you know what? Even if He doesn't heal me, I love this great God. And you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If He leaves me here, I'll serve Him. But if He takes me home, I'll go with joy. Amen? This is what Christians, this is how Christians process the trial. This is how we process the trial. We know the trial's coming. If you've been deceived by some false teacher, you can't name and claim the promise to leave. The, the, probably the trial. The trial is coming to you. God has promised the trial. Go read 1 Peter. In fact, He says the trial's necessary for you. The trial is coming. He's perfecting your faith. But the other thing He's doing as He perfects your faith, He's saving somebody in your family. Or He's saving one of your colleagues or one of your neighbors as they watch you. And He draws Christ to Himself through you. Beloved, there's a lot at stake here. It's not supposed to be easy. And when it gets hard, praise God. Remember what was it with Peter and John, I think? Uh, yeah. Remember what after they were beaten and, and they were released? And remember what they said? They were, they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy. Very good. Counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. 
I like how uh, John Piper says this. Real faith, this is one of my favorite quotes. You've probably, some of you have heard it before. Real faith loves God more than job. Anybody believe it? Maybe. Real faith loves God more than money. Anybody believe that? Real faith loves God more than possessions. Real faith loves God more than security. Real faith loves God more than family. Real faith loves God, as I alluded to a few moments ago, more than life itself. Real faith says whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. He's my reward. Amen? Beloved, I, I, you know, if you don't learn anything else when you're at ICM, I want you to realize, you know, you are a disciple. And the trial's coming. And God's going to sanctify you in the trial. And God's going to save people around you as they watch you go through the trial. These are just a few of the things God will do when it gets hard in your life. Faith is not easy. Real faith. I'm talking about real faith. Now, showing up for church, that's easy. You know, it's hard for some people, <laughs> seemingly. But, you know, showing up for church, that's easy. You know, maybe doing a little devotional at, uh, in the morning, that's easy. These are important things. I'm not discounting these things, but I'm saying to be a disciple, a real disciple in the world, where you are naming the name of Christ, where you are sharing the gospel, where you're out there, inter, you know, inter, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Interacting with unbelievers and uh, men and women of other faith, and you're, you're speaking truth to them. Beloved. These are important things. That's why, that's, why, that's why He left us here to do these things. Real Christianity isn't easy. It's not supposed to be. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4-5, through "...in everything we commend ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults..." I don't know if I've ever had a tumult. "...in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger..." And then he goes on to say, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you guys are familiar with this famous verse. Paul says, Therefore, I'm well contented. I'm well contented in the weaknesses and the insults and the distresses and the persecutions and the difficulties for Christ's sake. Beloved, can you be well contented when the hard thing comes? It's going to come. It's supposed to come. Listen, it hasn't come to you by accident. God has designed it for you. I love how John Piper talks about his cancer. He said he calls it a gift. He said, I learned more about God in my cancer than I had ever learned before my cancer. Uh, you know, we need to, beloved, we need to learn to start thinking like this. Thinking biblically. Not having some caricature of God in our hearts and minds, but, but the true biblical God. As God speaks about Himself, and as we watch it on the pages of Scripture, unfold in probably the greatest Christian who's ever walked the planet, the Apostle Paul, who suffered more than probably any of us all combined in here will suffer. And we've been seeing this joy pour out of him. He knows the trial's coming, and he's ready. You know, I say this to you all the time. You're not supposed to be you know, surprised when it comes. You're supposed to be ready when it comes. Are you ready when it comes? Will you be ready when the next trial comes? Will you be ready to make much of Jesus in it? How does a real life flesh and blood man you know, talk and live like the Apostle Paul? How do you get up every day and really do Philippians 1.21? How do you fight through the very 
real feelings of discouragement and despair that sometimes beset us. It's in our text tonight. We do it. Paul's giving us our prescription in uh, Philippians 4, beginning here in verse 6. And before I begin, you guys are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress. I've been mentioning it a lot lately simply because it fits the text. But do you remember when when Christian and, and Hopeful were captured by the giant of despair. Anybody remember this, this, side, this part of the story? And the giant of despair threw um, uh, Christian and Hopeful into the, 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 the dungeon of... What was it called? The dungeon of Doubting Castle. Okay, you, you with me on the metaphor? So the giant of despair has captured Christian and Hopeful, throw him in the dungeon, and he beats him every day, right? Finally, Christian remembers, I've got the key to the dungeon. Anybody remember what the key is? I've got the key. I've had it all along. It's right here in my bosom. He says, I've got the key to open this door. I can get out of this dungeon of despair, this dungeon of doubt. What's the key? The promise of God. <laughs> Paul, says, Paul says, here's the key. He's going to give us the key tonight in these verses. Beloved, you have the key. If you're a true believer <laughs> and you're grounded in the Word, and you're submitting to the Spirit of God, Paul says, here's the key. Here's the key. Here's how you get out of Doubting Castle and how you get past the giant of despair. God tells us in Romans 8 and in 1 John 5, God says, you are Nike. Someone tell me what Nike means. You are Nike. God calls His people Nike. Yes, they are shoes. In, in, the, in the modern parlance, they're called, yeah, Nike. That's right, Tony. Victory. We are Nike. In fact, in Romans 8, God says you are hyper Nikeo. You are unconquerable conquerors. This is what God calls us, right? So, yeah, when the, when the hard thing comes, you know, when, we're, when the giant of despair tries to capture us and he tries to throw us into the dungeon of doubting castle, we have the promise of God. We have the Word and the promise of God. And we know what the Lord has said to us. We are Nike. We will get the victory. It may be hard for a while, but we'll get the victory. We are overcomers. It's what the, the Lord says about us. So we saw last week, just to you know, get the context, that we can, we, can, we can do the Word of God in the Lord. We made much of that. We can do the Word of God in the Lord. We can do this not-so-easy faith because we are in the Lord. The other thing we, we saw last week, which was really good, it blessed me a lot anyway. I don't know if it blessed you, but... It said the, the very end there in, in verse 5, it says, The Lord is near. <laughs> you know, I, I have people say to me a lot, they say, Well, Jim, I don't think I can do that. Yes, you can. Your Lord is near. Your awesome God is near. And we said it last week this unapproachably holy God has approached us, He's drawn near to us. We, we are Nike, we can be Nike. We, are, we can be victors. We, we can overcome. Not because we're little sovereigns and we name it and claim it, but because our God is awesome. Our God is sovereign. 
Our God is sovereign. And He will do all His good pleasure. We talked about it last week. I, I won't read the, all the, the verses to you, but just a, one verse from uh, those great chapters in Isaiah chapter uh, 40, verse 40, uh, through chapter 40, verse through chapter 46. I'm, try, I'm trying to talk too fast. I get too jazzed up. My mistake. God says, I'm God and nobody else is. In those chapters. I'll just paraphrase it for you and summarize it for you. God says, there's no one like me. And you heard us sing the song. We sang the song, right? This God's our friend. <laughs> this God is our friend. You know, if you really believe that, you'll live a whole lot differently than if you don't believe that. If you believe God's your friend, you have license. You have license to live your faith as big as you dare. If you really believe, as the Bible tells us, that God is our friend. He is El Shaddai. And He is Jehovah Jireh. El Shaddai means what? Anybody remember? The Almighty God. The Omnipotent God. And what does Jehovah Jireh mean? Pardon me? God will give. God will provide. My favorite definition of Jehovah Jireh is God will see to it. Don't you love that? God will see to it. Are you willing to obey the Lord? Are you willing to take, you know, to take a risk to honor Christ? To make much of Jesus? Are you willing? Are you willing? God can be trusted in the hard place. It's why the men and women of Hebrews 11 lived like they lived. They believed this about God. They believed it to be true. We know what Romans 8.31 tells us. He uh, is not only near, it tells us another thing. He is for us. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God is for you! You say, Jim, I got cancer, man. You know, I lost my job. My son's in jail. I've been ostracized at the university. God is for you, beloved. The circumstance may be hard. God is for you. God is your friend. <laughs> this stuff, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I struggle a lot with this because when, when I think about this, it, it I don't know, it's so huge, right? And I, I feel like so many folks, they, they kind of read over these things and they don't think deeply about them. And it never seeps into the warp and woof of their life, or the, let's say it in an easier way, the tapestry of their life. And, and, and they never go out, it never makes any difference when they walk out this door. My God, who is God, He's for me. He's my friend, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Why can we be anxious for nothing? Someone tell me. Why? Why is this just not pretty prose? Why is this just not nice dogma? Why can you be anxious for nothing? Someone tell me. I've already said it six times. Why is that true for you and me if we're a Christian tonight? Why is that true? Because He's God. He can be trusted. He's for you. He is your friend. He has drawn near. Paul says, 
Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love this verse. You know what anxiety is. Someone tell me. What is anxiety for, for a believer? Disobedience. Pardon me? Disobedience. Disobedience. It's, it's just blatant sin. Now I know we all struggle with anxiety. Anxiety will well up in our fallen flesh. It, it wells up in all of us. It, it, it just happens. But what do we do with it? You know, Jesus is pretty clear. No, actually, He's explicitly clear over in Matthew chapter 6. Five times in ten verses, Jesus challenges us about anxiety. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what you should eat, or what you should drink. Verse 25. He says, which of you can change anything by being anxious? Verse 27. He says, why are you anxious about what you're going to wear? Verse 28. He says, don't be anxious about your needs. Verse 31. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Do you understand what Jesus is saying to you? Don't be anxious. It's really a backhanded confession. I don't believe He's God enough to take care of me in this situation. I know we don't say it like that, but backhandedly, that's what we're saying in our actions. I don't really believe He's an awesome God. I don't really believe He's my Father. I don't really believe He loves me like He says. I don't really believe He'll show up. So I'm going to be anxious. When my Lord and Savior and Creator says, don't be anxious anxious about anything. You remember how Jesus finishes that over, over in, uh, in uh, yeah, I'm getting goosebumps, okay. Over in, in Matthew 6, He says, He says, I know you need this stuff! Right? But what? Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't be anxious about anything. Seek first the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, and these things shall be added to you. Jesus says, you come after me, I'll take care of the small stuff. The problem is, we think our needs are more important than we think God is. I'll be honest with you, beloved. This is the truth that I've seen in 30 years as a Christian and 29 years as a minister. <laughs> we think our needs are more important than God is. We don't believe Matthew chapter 8. We don't believe it. We just don't believe it. I love Luke 12. Jesus says, Don't keep worrying. Your Father knows what you need. Do not be afraid. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you every good thing to give you the kingdom of God. Do you believe it? Is that part of the, you know, the calculus every morning when you get up? My God is God. I'll, I'll not be anxious. And when it comes on me, I'll throw it off like we talked about last week. I'll throw it off. I'll throw the anxiety off. How do we throw the anxiety off? How do we do it? By the Word of God, right? By the promise of God. We've got the key in our heart. We don't entertain despair and doubt. We don't have to. Some of us may do it, but we don't have to. We have the key. It's called the promise of God. The door will open. The door will open. Anxiety, beloved, it's an insult to God. If you indulge anxiety in your life, it is an insult. It, it betrays your view of Him. It betrays a non-biblical view of God. The Holy Spirit exhorts us tonight to be anxious for nothing because our God is God.
we sang the song, Sovereign. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor. And everything in between. Right? Do you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you live like you believe it? It's always about this. It's always about living what you believe. This is what God calls faith. To live what we say we believe. And you know what God's Word tells us? He's not... Yeah, He's sovereign over... Yeah, the falling of a sparrow and the rolling of a die. This is the degree to which God is sovereign. Not a, not a bird, not a sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of my Father, He says. So how we throw off anxiety, but another, here's another recipe. We can throw it off through prayer, right? Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How close is God to us? You guys know the great text. Psalm 139. How close is God to us in prayer? <laughs> Before the Word is on my tongue, what? He knows it. He knows it. And I also love uh, um, Romans 8 where it says, we don't even know how to pray, right? <laughs> we don't even know how to pray. You know, I know we probably all stumble around in our prayers sometimes, but that's okay. God honors our prayers, our efforts in prayer. But who's praying for us? Who else is praying for us? What does Romans 8 tell us? How many members of the Trinity are praying for us? Two. The Spirit of God and the Son of God. Are you anxious? Bring it to God in prayer, beloved. This is one of the exhortations of the text. Bring everything to Me. I've called you to a not-so-easy faith. God owns it. He's a full disclosure God. He's told us it's not easy. We can see it on the pages of Scripture that it's not easy. He says, I've called you to this not-so-easy faith. How do you deal with it? Come to Me in prayer. That's how. Come to me in prayer. God says, come to me. Come to me in prayer. Jesus says it in Matthew 7. Ask, seek, knock. When the anxiety comes, beloved, throw it off. Preach to yourself and then pray and throw it off. Remember, you have the promise of God you have the key, which is the promise of God. I've always loved Isaiah 65, 24. God says, It will come to pass that before you call, someone tell me, before you call me in prayer, God says what? Before you call, I will answer. <laughs> if that's not an encouragement to prayer, I, 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 I'm not sure if I can encourage you any greater than that. Beloved, prayer is freedom. It's license. It's, it's a, it's a never-ending dialogue with, with the living God. I love this aspect too about prayer. Proverbs fifteen eight. Some of you may not be familiar with this. 
God says, the prayer of the upright is my... Anybody know? Delight. Did you know you can delight the Father? Did you know you can delight the Father? Well, the, the Word of God tells us right here, your prayers are delight to the Lord. Six times in the New Testament, God commands His people to devote themselves to prayer. Colossians 4.2 actually almost uh, echoes perfectly the text we're looking at tonight. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Jesus tells us in Luke 18.1, Pray at all times, do not lose heart. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. It's our default mental state. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Does that mean I never get off my knees? No, that's not what it means at all. What does it mean? It means that my default mindset is, Oh Lord, thank You for this blessing. Thank You for what You're doing in my life today. Oh Lord, sustain me in this hard thing. It's always, Oh Lord, I praise You. Oh Lord, I thank You. Oh Lord, deliver me. Oh Lord, be with me. Our default mindset is always, Oh Lord. Amen? That's what it means to pray without ceasing. That's what it means. It's our default mindset. Oh Lord. I mean, you know, people talk to me about about prayer life and stuff. And I'll be honest with you, for me, it's a never-ending conversation. That's, what, that's how I define prayer. It's not something I do uh, maybe in the morning or something I do in the evening. It never stops. I mean, I, in my conversation with you, when you reveal a need to me, I'll be like back here, you know, be, I'll be talking to him about you. You know, this, to me, this is what to pray without ceasing is, is about. It's a moment-by-moment moment default. God commands us to bring everything to Him in prayer. We can do this not-so-easy faith because He hears us and He answers us. God says you can live Philippians 1.21 because I hear you and I answer. Did you, did you notice? Pray with what? How are we supposed to pray? With thanksgiving. It's why I read Psalm 100 to, to begin the service. With thanksgiving. It's why I asked you for some praises and, to begin with. Beloved, we should be an incur, incurable people as far as, it, as far as being thankful. We should be incurable. Incurably thankful. If we've really understood, you know, just the first part of the gospel, if we've really understood that we were enemies of God, but now we are co heirs in Christ, you know, everything else comes away after that. If we understand that, I mean, plus the countless, the, 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 yeah, the, the countless blessings that He pours out on us every day, we cannot consciously begin to count them. And like I tell you all the time, you know, we, we're worried about the three things in life that just aren't as just like I'd like for them to be. I haven't given any time to praising God or being thankful this week, but I sure have worried a lot about the three things that I wish were different. Beloved, do I have to tell you that that's wrong? Do I have to tell you to give the three things that aren't, what you, aren't the way you'd like for them to be? Do I have to tell you to give those to God and be thankful for everything else? It'll change the way you live. 
It'll change the way you deal with people. It'll change your marriage. It'll change, you know, it'll change the, your relationship with your kids and, and, and with your, your fellow students and your co-workers. I'm thankful every day! You know? <laughs> My next heartbeat, I'm thankful. My next brainwave, I'm thankful. God calls us to be a thankful people and we can be because He's a good God. Even when it's hard, He's a good God. Romans 8, 28 is always true. I know I come back to that all the time. Psalm 100, you heard me read it. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks and bless His name, for the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. You can't live biblical faith. We said it last week. Unless you know this is true about God. Unless you know He can be trusted. Unless you know He is a good God. I'm going to, uh, there's, a, there's a singer from my home state back in, in the U.S. Her name's Twyla Pear. She, she sings a line that I've always loved. She says, I will trust you even when I must cry. Don't you love that? Is that how it is with you and Jesus? I will trust you, Jesus, even if I must cry. And here's something else I want to say. Are you thankful when God says no? What, how, how did Paul handle the no over in, in Corinthians? you remember when he prayed three times that uh, uh, the thorn in the flesh would be removed? And what does God say? Well, he must not have prayed right. He didn't name it and claim it right, right? Or God would have been uh, honor-bound to answer his prayer. I mean, this is kind of how it's preached in some places, right? But God, if you actually read your Bible, you realize God sometimes says no. And how did Paul receive the no? He says, I am therefore well contented. <laughs> In the no! Listen, if you stop and think about it, at least, I don't know, five seconds, you want the no. If there needs to be a no, you want it. Right? Because God can see tomorrow. God can not only see tomorrow, He sees for all eternity, right? God can see around the corner. The yes may be wrong for me. God knows when to say no, beloved. Do you praise God about the no? Are you willing to praise God about the no? Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I receive this no from God. So we are even thankful in the no. This is, that's, that's my point I want to make to you. When, when the no comes, you be thankful. Praise God. He saved me from the yes. Is this, how you, this is how I've learned to think. He saved me from the yes. The no is better for me. It's more profitable for me. God can use the no more in my life than He could use the yes in my life. Beloved, I tell you all the time, I know some of you are confused. You think it's about you. It's not. You think it's all about you. It's not all about you. It's about Jesus Christ. That's who it's about. That's what your life is about. That's really ultimately what it's about. It's about Him. So avail yourself to Him. Avail yourself to Him, right? Even in the no. Praise God. Praise God for the no. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that the peace God gives is the peace of God? How big is the peace of God? How big is it? Someone tell me, how big is the peace of God? It's like really big. It's infinite. It's inexhaustible. It's unfathomable. The peace of God that He gives to His people. You cannot get this peace from a counselor. 
You cannot get it from a therapist. You cannot get it from religion. You cannot get it from a drug. This comes from Jehovah Jireh. This kind of peace. He says, come to Me in prayer with thanksgiving and I'll give you My peace. You can't begin to understand. It's not logical. It's not rational. It, it's beyond, it transcends common sense. I'll give you My peace. Divine peace. <laughs> peace that fills up the cosmos. That's what God is saying to us. Beloved, if your heart and your mind are in turmoil, God invites you to draw near to Him. And thankfully pray. And He says, I'll give you My peace. And it will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. Don't you love that? I'm not, it, it's not, it doesn't mean that, that we'll never be assailed again by our sinful flesh. We'll want to be anxious and worry about something. But we just need to you know, get before the Lord. And, and, and as, as the text says here, bring it to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving. And God grants His peace you know, this is how you do risky obedience in the world. I know it's, it, listen, I, I know about this. You can do it. And all manner of worry will come on you, but you don't have to hold that worry. You can throw off that worry. You can throw off that worry because you're God's God and you can talk to Him about it. And He gives you the peace, the divine peace that surpasses all understanding. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Did you hear it? Let your mind dwell. Are you doing this? Is this, is this, is this part of your daily discipline? I know, I've known many Christians down through the years, you know, they, they, read their, they read their chapter, bam, I'm done. <laughs> you know what? It's good to read, it's good to read the chapter. But you know what's more helpful for me? is like I read it really slow and then the first thing that causes me to worship, I stop. The first thing that causes me to think lofty thoughts of God. The first thing that humbles me. The first thing that convicts me. The first thing that, that drives me to my knees. The first thing that causes, causes me to adore God. You know, whatever it is, when I feel that first thing that comes off the page, I stop, Right? And I just talk to God about it. And I just worship the Lord. I mean, it's, if you're one of those guys that you want to read six chapters a day, that's great. Be in the Word of God. But, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I'll read till I hit, till God says something to me personally. And I stop and I spend much time on that. But my, my point being, be in the Word. You must be mentally prepared. If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be in the world, if, yeah, if you're going to engage in risky obedience out there, if you're going to go with Jesus, you must be mentally prepared. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, you must take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And essentially what Paul is saying to us here in verse 8, he says, this is really a, a personification. We could personify all that is said there in verse 8, and it can be God. It's as if he's saying, you know, look at God. Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellent, worthy of praise, dwell on these things because that's what your Father is like. That's who your Father is. Dwell. It means to reside, to stay, 
to abide, make your home in, on, and around the Word of God, and you will be empowered to be His disciple in the world. You know Proverbs 23.7, as a man thinks, so he is. And the geeks are right, right? The computer geeks are right. Garbage in, garbage out. Some of you probably putting garbage in. Garbage in, garbage out. You say, Jim, I don't have any peace, man. I'm struggling. I, it's all, it's hard. It's blah, whatever. Garbage in, garbage out. What are you putting in your heart? Paul is exhorting us. Paul is exhorting us <laughs> to put the things of God in our hearts. God says, if you want to break through, and if you really want to walk with me, dwell upon me, my word, my truth, my promises, my blessings, and my goodness. You guys know John 8. Jesus said, if you abide in me, he says, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, some people I've met, they think it makes them seem smarter to worry a lot. Have you heard this? I mean, some people, they think the more they worry, it's because they're so smart. Well, I'm going I'm to have to burst your bubble. It's not because you're so smart. It's because you're not so smart. If you were smart, you would be looking at God and you wouldn't worry. The smart man or woman is looking at God and he is not in a perpetual state of worry and anxiety. He's looking at his Creator. And he is so in awe of this awesome God. <laughs> it's almost like you don't have time to worry anymore. I mean, it's the, you know, I don't sweat the minutiae. I don't sweat the minutiae. I'm looking at God. Verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul says, practice these things. He means do them. <laughs> do them. Are you anxious? You shouldn't be. If you're a praying man or woman, you won't be. Come to me in prayer with thanksgiving, he says, and I'll give you my peace. A peace that will guard your heart, that will guard your mind. Think deeply about who I am and what I say. All the good stuff. Practice this, God says. Practice this. Paul says, I can live the not-so-easy faith because my God is God. He hears my prayer. He's drawn near to me. His omnipotent peace is available to me. I have the key that unlocks every door in Doubting Castle. I have the key. You have the key. It's called the promise of God. Paul says, I'm Nike, and so is every other true Christian. We will be victors. We are conquerors. We are unconquerable conquerors. It's hard to say. I have to stop and think about it. Beloved, this is a powerful text. This is a powerful text. This is almost like a life tutorial right here for a Christian. This is a life tutorial. Don't you dare be anxious for anything. You call yourself a Christian? Don't you dare! Don't do it! You say, Jim, it comes on me. Then throw it off! Preach to yourself from the Word of God. Get on your knees and pray to this great God who's promised to hear you and promised to give you all that you need. Don't you dare be anxious anymore, beloved. It's a challenge from God tonight to you and to me. Don't you dare be anxious anymore. Don't you dare. We are God's people. We are sons and daughters of the King. 
I love this text. I couldn't leave this text. And you know, you know what verse 13 says. I've mentioned it several times already. I'm probably going to preach next week down to 13. And I'll, I promise I'll move on. But uh, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, right? We can't stop. We can't stop. Let's pray together. <coughs> Lord, we thank You. We thank You for this exhortation. We thank You that we, we, don't, have to, we don't have to be anxious. In fact, You've told us that it's a sin. It's a lack of faith. It's unbelief. It really disparages who we say You are. And Lord, we know that when the trial comes, You're working in it. So Lord, I pray that we won't be anxious about anything. And if we are, we will throw it off. We will come to You in prayer with thanksgiving. Lord, we won't be consumed with the three things that aren't just right. We'll be in awe of the countless things that are beyond description. Lord, these are the kinds of Christians we want to be. Help us. We all fail and we all struggle. Help us, Lord, we pray. Help us. Help us to know and trust and live the fact that You are great sovereign God, sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, sovereign in the falling of a sparrow, sovereign in the rolling of a die. Lord, I pray that we would learn this well and that we would incarnate this in the world. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to close with uh, Beautiful Tonight, I think. We just want to sing a couple of verses here as we close.